Hear the gospel of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at the 25th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you now in need of you may we see jesus christ tonight may we hear from him tonight and may what is of me lord fall away and may you be exalted above all forevermore amen Amen. i thought tonight Having heard Rodney's first reading, we could do a verse-by-verse exposition of Genesis. Can you arrange for dinner at 7.30? <laughs> I'm only joking. Don't get, don't get worried. Um, so I'm going to talk tonight about this gospel. Uh, do not worry. Um, Jesus has spent a lot of the last chapter um, in Matthew's gospel laying out the priorities and distinctive behaviours of his disciples who will follow him. He's addressed characteristics for every believer in the Beatitudes. He has called them to be salt and light on the earth. He has exhorted them to keep the commandments and to not turn from them. He fleshes out the heart of the commandments, focusing in on what is at the center of the law, summarized later by the words, love God and love your neighbor. He takes that idea and encourages them to give to the needy in a humble way, to pray to the Father simply, and in secret, not for uh, others to see. In our passage today, we're going to look at this call to not be anxious, which fits into a larger section concerning the disciples' attitude to material possessions. He reminds the disciples of priorities in their life, to seek heavenly, imperishable treasure over perishable, earthly treasure, to serve not two masters, but one to serve God alone. To not be distracted by the things of the world, but to live as true disciples of the Heavenly Father. So in light of this, he calls 
his disciples. He says to them, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. The first thing Jesus is saying, really clear, out of the gate, don't be anxious. But don't be anxious about material things, is the focus here. He makes this clear by asking a rhetorical question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And anyone familiar with um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs will know that the answer to that question is yes. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing, as important as these things are. To reinforce it, Jesus uses the example of the birds who neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. They have to gather their food, but it's provided for them by a God who cares for them. Verse 27 reminds me and makes me thankful um, that the disciple is this. The disciple is one who is all loved. The disciple is one who is all loved, but not one that is all powerful. Do we get that? I am all loved by God, but I am not all powerful. And I feel like Jesus is reminding us here that we cannot lengthen our time on earth. We sit in the timing of our God who is sovereign over time and is outside of time. We sit in that um, safe place of being with God um, in his timing. A humorous but probably less accurate way to read that um, text is which one of you could add a single cubit to his height? That's 18 inches for a bit. Some of us might want to. No names mentioned. Um, but this <laughs> but this reminds me of a conversation the director and I often have about my love of dessert. And I figure that I can add a cubit to my waistline, but definitely <laughs> not to my height. I am working on it, Morris. Um, but it is true that God is the one who gives us our bodies. God is the one who provides our food. He is the, the one who gives us the gift of life. And he is in control of it, not us. I think that's a good starting point from approaching this passage. God is in control, not us. Jesus addresses those who worry about clothing, asking them, why do they worry? He points to the flowers of the field. Look at those daffodils out there. Amazing. And he recognizes how God has adorned them in great beauty. And again, he shows that flowers do not work uh, to gain their adornment. Yet they are compared with Solomon in all his splendor, um, of which the king of, or the queen of Sheba sta um, stated that her breath was taken away when she looked upon all that um, Solomon had. Um, mentions how his servants were adorned, and that, that was amazing to her. Um, even that doesn't compare to the beauty of creation around us. So Jesus says to his disciples, why do you worry about clothing? Well, the grass of the field is adorned beautifully by the Father in heaven, and it's only around for a short time. Today it is here, and tomorrow you use it to light fires in your ovens. So in light of that, he poses the question, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus really wants to make clear to his disciples how much God cares for them. He asked this question twice. He says, um, in reference to the birds, are you not of more value than they? And then, in reference to the flowers of the field, will he not much more clothe you? He wants to reinforce this idea that, that when it comes to created things, God is very interested in us. He's not a far-off deity that does not know our needs. He's not like Baal in First Kings when Elijah has to encourage the false prophets to shout louder in case Baal is in a different room and just can't hear them. God hears us. He knows our needs. He cares very much for us. And faith... In, in this rebuke, refers to the context 
that faith is the knowledge that God cares for us, that our needs are met by him, and it's contrasted with anxiety or worry, depending on how you read it, which implies that we've forgotten that we are cared for. We cannot forget we are cared for by our almighty God. So we're reminded not to be like the Gentiles who seek after these things, but to rest in the promise of our Father that knows that we need them all. We're not to live like people who haven't got a God. We haven't got a God who cares for us. Instead, we have to worry about where the next um, riches are coming from or where our clothes are coming from. We're not to live like that. And Jesus makes really clear that the remedy for the malady of anxiety is to remember who God is. God is the one who provides for all of creation. Instead of worrying, we are to rest in that knowledge. We have a God who hears us, who knows our needs, and a God who is sovereign over all of it. So we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, our identity has been shaped by his perfect work on the cross. It has been um, how we are adopted into the family of God, and that allows us to have an inheritance that, that Peter describes as imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven for us. We have been saved from slavery, and now we are free, free to worship him in all that we do. And I feel like this extends to the things that we prioritize in our life. So the call is to set our minds on heavenly things. We strive to lay aside sinfulness by his grace, including, but not exclusively, material greed. And yet Jesus is not naive. The same Jesus who faced many trials and temptations knew the reality of life on earth. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, as Hebrews reminds us. But he is clear that we are to deal with our anxieties as they come and not lose hope because we're grounded in who we are in him. In all that he did, he did to the glory of the Father in heaven. He is willing to lay down everything to be obedient and he calls us to do the same with him. I want to address some things that Jesus is not saying in this passage. Um, and this came up in commentaries. I don't know if any of you have ever considered this. But Jesus is not using the examples of the birds and the flowers who do no work and yet are provided as an apology for laziness or permission to give up work. Um, work is part of our createdness. It goes right back to the beginning when man was given the call to care for creation and to have dominion over us, to, to labor in the earth. And secondly, Jesus is not saying to neglect the poor as if we have no obligation to, oblige, or to provide for them because God does it anyway. This would contradict Jesus' earlier expectations as disciples in the chapter that they will give to the needy. It does cast up for me some thoughts about those who live in poverty and for whom the very concern of where food or heat or clothes will come from is a daily concern. What does this passage say in that situation? Well, I think Jesus is not forbidding that kind of anxiety, which is only natural. It's only natural to provide for your family and for yourself, but I think it's addressing those whose chief concern in life is the pursuit of wealth and material possession to that end. If we were to greedily pursue and consume material gain, others would lose out. And I think if we were doing church right, I don't think this should be happening in our communities anyway. I think if we're doing church right, people should not be suffering from poverty. 
As disciples, our primary purpose, though, is to worship God, and that is what we are here for in this place. We are to have no other gods before him. And I think this comes as a timely reminder to me. We need to think of our money and our material possessions as tools for ministry, rather than something that is a driving force behind our ministry. And whether we're living on um, deacon funds or we're living on student funds or we're trying to fundraise for a new hall or fundraise for a college, whatever that is. Material possessions are tools in that life. They're not our driving force. And what we do um, is not um, to fund a comfortable life in the sense of the world, but rather we are called to rest in the sovereignty of God, to keep tabs on the temporality of riches and ostentatiousness, to put him first. And just like the disciples, we are called to be distinctive in all that we do. In a consumerist culture that is obsessed with stuff and spending money frivolously and with gaining wealth, I believe we can be prophetic in stripping it of its power over our nation and saying, actually, I'm not concerned with these things. I have something of far more worth to show you. You wouldn't believe the amount of young professionals I talk to who are hungry for more than the anxieties of this world. People who are looking for someone to model something richer than that. The question to us tonight is how do we model that in our mission? Another thing is in the way we handle anxiety generally. If we live as ones who rest in the sovereignty of God, we will show it to the world. It will be attractive in a world full of worry. And yet if we continue to lack distinctiveness in that, we're going to lose that opportunity. The question tonight, do we sweat the small stuff in life? Do we sweat the small stuff? And if we do, what does that say about our view of our sovereign God who reigns over all? I think one of the most important things we've lost track of in the church, I know this for myself, I don't know if I speak to you or not, but accountability amongst peers. Accountability amongst peers. We were talking about this this morning. I need someone to ask me what I'm doing with the money that I have. I need someone to keep me accountable on what I spend in a month. Because this is a big issue in terms of where I view what I have, who God is, and how I look at everyone else in the world. We've all heard that cliche. I don't mind repeating it. You can tell a Christian by their bank account. Where does your money go? And maybe it rings truer than we would like to believe sometimes. Because I need to ask myself, am I prioritizing my own gain over the glory of God? And if so, how do I stop it right now? How do I stop it right now? So we're not to be anxious about the things of this world. It's a call to be distinctive and to stand out from the crowd, giving glory to God and not to ourselves. We are to use God's gifts wisely and again for his glory. His glory. We are to support those who are in need materially and one another when it comes to discipline or accountability. I think we need to reflect on our behaviours and mark them up against what Christ calls us to constantly. We will ultimately all be found lacking in many and various ways. And so we are to let what Christ did on the cross for us shape everything that we do. He cared enough for us to give up his life and he cares enough for us to sustain us and hold us in his time. And all we have to do is follow him in it all. Allowing this to be on our mind, turning to his truth regularly, we will find ourselves growing in reliance on the one who can truly meet our needs and the needs of the whole world.
We gain something more in that. We gain reliance on the salvation of God in our lives and for the whole world. So my prayer for myself is that I may be of greater faith and I might worry less. I might pray that I am who I am meant to be, focused on my Father in heaven and rejecting what is merely temporal and ultimately empty. So let's pray. Father, may you use my words tonight to shape me more and more into your likeness. May what is from you, Lord, bless the church. And may we all, Lord, live more and more in you and um, the truth of the kingdom forevermore. Amen. Amen.